to another episode of Canadians with Disabilities and their Allies. My name is Brent. I'm the host for the show. Today, I have two awesome guests joining me, uh, the tag team duo, I call them. And I've had them on previously on my show. And uh, lovely, but, lovely but not to together. Have. No, not together. <laughs> it's the first time that uh, the two uh, gentlemen that I'm going to be introducing are uh, coming uh, on at the same time, in the same place. Well, maybe not the same place, but the same time. Same so, channel. Uh, yeah, the same, the same great channel here. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I'm going to introduce uh, Shane Simpson. Uh, he's the was the former minister for BC NDP Social Development and Poverty Reduction. And Michael Prince is joining Shane today. And uh, Michael is the Lansdowne uh, Professor of, of Political Science. Uh, from the UBIC. Uh, he's a political uh, scientist, he's a disability advocate, he's a uh, media pundit, and welcome gentlemen. It's great pleasure to having both of you join me today. Good to be on, Brent. And see, you Thanks, do have Brent. you have matching beards. Yes, matching beards. <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> yeah, it comes with age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So today we're going to be uh, talking, uh, having a discussion regarding the Canada Disability Benefit, social policy reform and disability rights. And then we're going to uh, talk a little bit of a uh, hockey talk after and uh, anything else that uh, any of our um, questions from live uh, our live audience will uh, have opportunity of submitting some questions in. Um, so uh, please feel free to uh, submit your questions in uh, a little bit after and we'll see if there's any questions coming in on our live stream. So uh, gentlemen, I'm gonna start off with uh, Shane first, uh, and then I'm gonna uh, go to you, Michael. Mm -hmm. So uh, Shane, um, well, it's, uh, what's been happening uh, since your, um, your leave uh, from the BCNDP? Uh, what have you been, uh, what have you been up to? Well, I've, uh, I'm, I, uh, I left, I guess it was around November of 2020 when I was officially done my time as minister. And uh, it was a combination of taking some time off and uh, and doing some work on things that I'm interested in. And I'm about half to two thirds retired now, which is a good amount of time to be retired and um, doing a little bit of writing, uh, doing a little bit of work around uh, disability management issues, um, some boards, things like that. Uh, but certainly staying very uh, aware of issues for the disability community, which is I learned a lot about in my time as minister, learned a lot of things I didn't know. And I, I certainly think I, I became much more knowledgeable or aware of some of the critical issues uh, uh, that people face and some of the aspirations and desires that people have for their lives. So um, still doing that and 
enjoying uh, being able to connect with uh, folks like yourself and uh, and have opportunities to talk about these things with folks mm-hmm. like you and Michael. You say you're going to do a, be a writer, or you're doing writing. I, I wonder if you're going to do the uh, a tell-all of behind the scenes. <laughs> uh, well, no, probably a little not. Bit. I, it'd be, you know, it'd be I, interesting, though. It'd be, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I took to, some writing courses. To see a little uh, bit of that. I, yeah, yeah, I took some writing courses after I uh, I, I finished elected politics, and um, and the idea of of a book or something seems pretty daunting, but. I'm doing some essay writing and that, okay. and uh, and you never know essays could turn into chapters if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the, it's like the book of the the matter of confidence. I, I remember mm. that book. That was uh, that uh, uh, Rob Shaw and uh, Richard Zuzman wrote. Um, That's right. That was actually That's a right. fabulous book. <clears throat> that was a good book. It was a fun book. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yes. Uh, but, uh, that won't be a, something that uh, that you will be writing, though, right, Shane? Oh well, I, I mean, talk to Michael. Michael's written a few books. <laughs> well, maybe maybe Michael uh, maybe can help you with it. <laughs> yeah. So it's um, yeah, definitely, um, Shane. It's um, you've learned a lot um, over your time um, through the disability uh, community. Um, I remember uh, one of our discussions that uh, that you ha- that we had was you you learned a lot on ground level, like talking to individuals. Um, you'll have firsthand experience of lived experience of what they've gone through or what they're going through as you know, and they're still going through a lot. And, um, you know, especially with the downtown East side in Vancouver, I'm sure the, the landscape sure changed a lot in the last while uh, with the homelessness and, and the housing, trying to get um, the individuals into the, the, you know, the supportive housing that they need or getting you know, the, the supports that they need uh, for individuals that, um, you know, I guess who have um, other health issues that, you know, that need to be taken care of, uh, definitely. Maybe I could get you to dive into a little bit about that. If uh, You know, sure. And, uh, and, and I just, I'm talking about writing, I, I just finished a little while ago a, a pretty a extensive piece on what I think needs to happen in the downtown east side. But, and there's lots of emergency, immediate issues like housing, like safe drug supply, like addiction and mental health treatment, those things, you know, getting are, are all immediate, but the solutions to the problem are much more long-term. And, and I think there are some underlying factors and, and certainly my advice to government and that is to pick up on something that the disability community has embraced. So I think I hear more about the disability, nothing about us without us uh, is kind of a slogan that I embraced uh, that I learned from the disability community. And I think that has to be true for neighborhoods like the downtown east side. You need to work with the people to make their lives better. But that's not going to happen unless you change the environment and make the environment where they live more welcoming. Otherwise, it's very, very challenging to deal with those issues. So I think that's a big part of it is, is how do you engage people? Um, you know, we see that in, in the disability community as well. I mean, I think about the um, uh, the consultations I did around the poverty reduction work and the accessibility work, mm-hmm. and and the things I heard. I heard about people not feeling like they were being recognized or being respected. Mm-hmm. Uh, about people, disability community wanting jobs right at the top mm-hmm. of people's list. Right after I don't have enough money to live, is I want a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and 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 that didn't you know and that's hard 
and they wanted it for the money, but they also wanted it because they had something to contribute. They had value and they wanted that value to be there. So I think there's a lot of work around how we engage people and kind of respect making their lives more full as well as dealing with the immediate issues. And that's a challenge for the downtown east side. Um, it's going to be hard work, but I think it's absolutely a fixable situation. But you know, you know, Shane, you know, Shane, I've, uh, I've talked about this before and I don't know if you remember that I, I worked, uh, for six years, uh, with the Sam Sullivan foundation. And one of the pro uh, programs that we ran was, uh, employment, uh, project to, uh, get people with disabilities, uh, employment ready, or just or try to find them in employment jobs, but get them employment ready. And what I found, um, I was, you know, one of the people that was basically a cheerleader for, for uh, the clients and, and helping them match them up with employment opportunities and stuff like that. But what, what was found was there's so many um, kind of um, other layer barriers. Like it, it wasn't just a matter of, finding them a job it was uh like for example i had uh one guy that was in um bc housing and he had um he had one guy that was basically um threatening to kill him every day every day like his life was being threatened in social housing and so he got moved once and then the bc housing said well okay we'll move you once but if you if we have to move you again forget it you're you're out and um uh, and anyway, the, the second place he moved, he had um, bad smelly carpets, like really, really bad smelly carpets. And mm. and the um, the landlord wouldn't wouldn't do anything about it. So here's this here's this guy that wants to work. And this is just one example. He wants to work, but he's got smelly carpets. He can't sleep. He's not eating properly because he's on social assistance. Right. So he's got a really bad diet. He's not sleeping. And and yet he's expected to work, you know, so it, it kind of goes hand in hand, right? You can you can say, well, just give people a job. But if you don't, like you said, if you don't set them up with success, with having a healthy diet and having a safe place to live where you're not getting threatened <clears throat> with your life and and have smelly carpets and stuff like that. And, you know, it all kind of goes together, though, right? You can't just say, give them a job and it fixes it. Right. No, you're uh, I think you're 100 percent right, Neil. And uh, and you have to. You have to plan to to support people for where they are, and that's why it's also not one, you know, one size fits all. Everybody's circumstances are a little bit different. Some of them are radically different. But mm -hmm. you're right. I mean, when you if if somebody is living poor, uh, they are struggling with health issues. Maybe they've got other stuff going on. Maybe the complexity of their disability, if they have a disability, is challenging, and then they don't have a safe, secure place to live. Well, you're not going to address all those issues until you start to do that. And I think it begins with having a, a safe, secure place to live where you know you can hang your hat at the end of the day. Uh, and until you kind of get that in place, it's really hard to deal with the other stuff. I mean, that's just reality. And, you know, I, I've been mm -hmm. privileged to have a, a safe place to live for an awfully long time, but I can't imagine what it would be like if I didn't know whether next month I was going to have a place to live that was okay so I think you're bang on Neil the issues are complex it's not just get a job it's create opportunities for people to have the lives that they want to have and that's a whole bunch of different things
Well, especially when um, like a, a lot of uh, PWD's income goes to, if they're living in the private sector and market housing, a lot of their income is going <clears> to market rent where then by the time they pay their bills or their tenant insurance, um, you know, et cetera, hydro, <laughs> um, they don't have much left or nothing left. Um, so no, you don't. And, and I think that actually leads to, you know, part of the conversation we're having in that. And, mm -hmm. and I know that Michael's did some work on this, too. Mm -hmm. And it is we talked about the Canada disability benefit and, mm -hmm. and that right. coming and and depending on how much it is and who gets it and mm -hmm. and the provinces respecting it. Um, there's a great opportunity there, I think, to move mm -hmm. the dial. You know, we often talk about basic income. Well, this is a targeted basic income plan, mm -hmm. essentially, and it could just make a radical difference mm -hmm. for so many people who are struggling with disability and being poor. And uh, and if, if they get it right, I think it's a game changer for mm -hmm. a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But over the next few months, it's going to be very, very, very challenging to make sure they get it right. Well, that's and, a good uh, that's a good segue that. so maybe maybe we should let uh, michael speak now yeah so, <laughs> yeah i turn turn the um yeah thanks shane and uh, i'll come back to you and uh, i'm gonna turn the mic over to michael prince now hi mike yeah. hello hello brent nice to see you thanks yeah. for the invitation <laughs> yeah it's great to great to actually see you in in person now yeah yes yeah, uh, so well, I think Shane Shane set me up for a nice segue there into the yes, Canada Disability Benefit. Um, yeah, maybe I could just give an update as to where it's at. Uh, sure. You, you know, right. the, the, the bill, you know, just I know I've been on your show before. Shane's been on. We've talked about the bill before. Um, you know, it, it went to the House of Commons late last year. Um, a lot of groups said, just pass it. We need the money as soon as possible. You know, we need it yesterday. Um, and so there's a great urgency or sense of, urgency by a lot of disability advocates across the country. Uh, when it went to the House of Commons Standing Committee, it, it did get amended uh, in a few places, a, a few things to clarify. It, it's a very, what's called a framework piece of legislation, very kind of just broad outline, not a lot of details. And as Shane said, some of the most critical questions, you know, will, will not really be addressed until into the regulations. Um, and that's gonna be an interesting challenge for the nothing about us without us. Like, how do we, you know, this is kind of getting into new territory. How, how does the government open up what tends to be traditionally a fairly internal process of lawyers in an attorney general's department or a justice department drafting regulations with officials? How do you open that up to stakeholders <laughs> to kind of be allowed into what's historically a pretty pretty closed uh, and, and small number of officials involved in that. So that's, and that's actually now contained in the legislation. The, some of the amendments at the House of Commons Committee uh, actually started to add more specifics to that slogan, nothing about us without us. Like, well, what would that mean in practice? What, that, mm -hmm. what could that look like when you develop uh, and draft the regulations? So that's kind of exciting. You know, we'll have to learn how that actually plays out. So then the bill came to the Senate and again, uh, groups were worried that uh, all the all the way from well, maybe there'll be another snap election, which means the bill would die. Uh, you know, maybe the maybe the house, maybe the parliament would be prorogued by the prime minister. There was a lot of anxiety across the country by a lot of disability groups that just didn't have a lot of faith in in the process would play out to a happy conclusion. So, so again, some groups said to the Senate. Don't amend the bill. <clears throat> Just pass it and let's get it out there. Uh, if, even if that was to happen, 
benefits aren't really going to roll out till sometime in 2024. And whether it's the end of the current fiscal year of 2023-24, or more likely 24-25, so it would be we're looking at a year from now or, or a little longer, Brent, as to when when people would say, well, when's those checks going to come out? Uh, right. Well, I think Shane would know this too. There's a process still of approval and then developing regulation. And again, if, it, if we're going to respectfully engage disability groups in developing the regulations, that's going to take time. And we have to make sure, uh, again, that these are inclusive, accessible processes and respectful for accommodating a variety of, of, of uh, people's needs and, and aspirations as we go forward. What's interesting though, Brett, I want to draw to your attention is the senators, even though they were being lobbied quite hard by a lot of groups not to amend the bill, they actually did. <laughs> I mm -hmm. appeared before the, the Senate uh, a few weeks ago and, and really interesting. I was part of a panel and there was two or three things that really, I think the senators came to realize they had to amend the bill. And I'll give you a couple examples. One was around the whole question of how will the benefits interact with private insurance plans? Something that the House had not, <clears throat> House of Commons and MPs had not really talked about. And, oh. and, and the minister, uh, Carla Qualta, said, oh, well, we've been in conversations with the industry. And uh, we are assured that they will treat the benefit as what's called a social benefit rather than an income replacement benefit. It's a supplement. And we will negotiate memorandums of understanding with the various leading insurance firms in this country. Well, that didn't give sufficient comfort to a lot of groups saying uh, memorandums of understanding are not contracts. They're not actually legally binding. And a lot of people with disabilities started to then come forward and tell their own personal stories and struggles of trying to collect benefits from private insurance companies or the clawbacks that they experienced from private insurance carriers. So that opened Clawback. up a whole... Yeah. Well, that <laughs> yeah. opened up a whole area of, well, what what needs to be done? What can we do? And one question is, well, is it within the constitutional jurisdiction of the federal government to weigh in on regulating insurance carriers? Because as Shane would know, there's some discussion about division of pay powers that that's often seen as a provincial jurisdiction, not a federal. Well, mm -hmm. they got advice and experts. And long story short, the senators agreed to amend one of the sections of the bill to say that uh, uh, you cannot recover or retain, which is their words for clawback, uh, benefits under any contract, insurance plan, or similar instrument. So they're trying to cast the net wide there in brief legal terms to prevent clawbacks. Up until then, everyone was worried about provinces clawing back. Oh, well, we don't trust the province. Again, the exception was British Columbia. Shane was yeah. the minister at the time, and during COVID and, and his successor, you know, to their credit, BC was the only province that didn't offset CERB benefits flowing through. Similarly, on the dental benefits and others more recently, Shane, uh, I'm proud to say BC has stood there often alone saying, no worries, these people need this money. We're not going to clot back. So, but there's, again, a lot of, given past behavior of various provincial governments, there was concern about how do we ensure provinces will not offset or claw back this new federal benefit? Well, at the Senate, this whole issue around private insurance came forward as a second dimension to that. The third dimension is, will other federal programs offset and claw back? No one talks about, uh, well, what's the federal government going to do in its own backyard? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. everyone thinks the boogeyman are in some provincial capitals. <laughs> and again, only at the Senate did some advocates say, well, you know, what about 
the government of Canada. It's not given any guarantees in the bill that it's not going to claw back. Everyone's pointing at provinces. Well, so then some of us started to say, well, you got to think about provinces. You got to think about the private insurers. We also have to think about other federal programs. And are there going to be offsets there? And so this language now, I think, is intended to give far more reassurance. Maybe not 100% guarantee, but more reassurance in the bill. The other one I'll just say, and it speaks to uh, Shane's comment about this could be a real game changer, this benefit, depending on how it's designed, the level of amount, who gets it, and how it does interact with a whole host of provincial benefits. So in the, in the House of Commons, the bill got amended to add a definition of adequacy. And it said, well, we now have an, a Poverty Reduction Act in Canada, uh, as we do in BC, thanks to Shane Simpson and the good work of, of his portfolio. So this new benefit federally should be, what it's an amount has said, it needs to take into consideration, and that was the language, the official poverty line as it's defined in the Federal Poverty Reduction Act, which is the market basket measure. I think we've talked about this before on your show. Yeah. Well, again, when it came to the Senate, group said, well, that was a good start in, in clarifying what adequacy means, but it's, it wasn't sufficient. So the senators have gone on now to amend this and elaborate on what adequacy means. And let me just quickly read it out to your listeners. It said, this benefit must take into consideration not only the official poverty line, but secondly, the additional costs associated with living with a disability. And that's important because the official Statistics Canada poverty measures do not take into account the additional costs of living with a po with disability. Um, and it does cost more for sure. It does yeah. cost more. Yeah. I mean, you know that Shane yeah. heard that loud and clear yeah. from his consultations on poverty reduction. And the, there's some research in Canada, but the, uh, there's a larger body of research internationally. And the general conclusion from all that research is that people with disabilities, depending on the severity, the complexity and so forth, it maybe adds somewhere between 20 to 40% additional costs. So if we're to, whatever poverty line we use, which doesn't take into account those extra real costs of living, it's gonna, it's gonna be inadequate almost from the get so. So we start with the poverty line measure, then we say to the government of Canada, when you set the benefit amounts, you need to take into account uh, these additional costs. It then also adds, the Senate also added the intersectional needs of disadvantaged peoples and individuals. So there they're starting to get it, maybe racialized communities, indigenous peoples and communities, uh, issues perhaps of gender. So again, getting the government of Canada to publicly take into account these other dimensions. I think this is the first piece of legislation I've seen. Um, and, and again, it hasn't passed, it's a bill that's trying to build in a much more nuanced definition. And then it mm -hmm. also says, Canada's international human rights obligations. Now that phrase really is referring to the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So again, provincial governments, federal government sign and agree to international treaty obligations. The challenge always is how to get uptake and implementation across 13 governments or 14 governments. So the Senate really now is sort of <clears throat> saying to the House of Commons and the MPs, <clears throat> You you amended this adequacy definition partially. We're gonna we're gonna flesh it out, and so mm -hmm. it'll be really interesting. This bill now goes to the Senate full chamber for third reading uh, this week in the next day or two, and we'll have to see. Again, there's probably going to be a pushback. Uh, there'll be a lot of people who've been lobbying 
what used to be liberal senators to not accept the amendments. Although, you know, I, I've seen in the last couple of weeks, disability groups are softening their position about just pass the bill, pass the bill. Because I think they're now starting to realize these are important, significant, substantial improvements. And, and so the bill, if it passes the Senate, has to go back to the House of Commons. Uh, and there's about 10 days left in sitting days in the House of Commons before they recess in June. So, again, people are feeling a bit anxious about the timelines. But if Minister Qualtro uh, and the cabinet say decide these are good amendments, we're not going to oppose them. Uh, I think this would pass through. I think the NDP will be very supportive of this. I can't see other other parties arguing against adequacy. <laughs> so. I, I would think hopefully this should go back to the House and we'll see it pass as a bill. Then it gets royal assent. And then as, as, as uh, Shane, and this will be my last point, as Shane said, then gets that nothing about us without us phase about truly engaging with disability groups, not only just in the drafting of the bill, but then in all the details now about how do we define disability? What's the eligibility? How does that articulate with provincial definitions across programs? Uh, and that's where I think provincial officials, quite frankly, have been waiting because uh, they've just got these broad sketch outlines. I don't think they know what the price tag is yet, Shane, or the value of the benefit that the federal government's thinking about. And that's going to be a battle, too, Brett, will be <clears throat> um, between the minister, Carla Qualtro, convincing her finance minister and, uh, and a cabinet that, you know, maybe... Uh, thinks about this occasionally, <laughs> but it's yeah. not their priority bill. So uh, groups really need to kind of deliver a strong message. And this isn't, this can't be a supplement of a few hundred bucks. That's not yeah. the, if this is truly to lift people out of poverty, which the bill is designed to do and to offer financial security, this has to be a pretty robust supplement. And uh, I think that's what Shane was alluding to was that this could be a game changer. If it's a meager, modest little uh, tidbit at the beginning, It'll be, uh, people will take it because they need it, but it'll be woefully, and I say tragically, a lost opportunity. Yeah. yeah and, and, it's, and, you know, just to, to pick uh, up maybe just a little sure. bit on that, and, and I know part of the challenge at the provincial level is when the federal government has broached the topic and said, we want a commitment of no clawbacks, <laughs> because it's as vague as it is, the provinces, with some justification, have said, well, explain to us what you mean by clawback and yeah. where, because yeah. there's a whole bunch of things that could change that could be deemed to be a clawback yeah. benefit. So I think that's part yeah. of the question for sure. Yeah. The other thing that I, and, and, and I don't know, Michael may have a better sense, but I've been increasingly getting the sense that part of the way that the federal government deals with this benefit is to set a national standard and say, everybody in disability should have this much money. So whatever the province is paying, we will supplement that to get people to that level. Yeah. Uh, and that that's one of the models versus the model that says everybody gets a thousand dollars, for example. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and, and so I think that that's not entirely sorted out yet, though yeah. I do get the sense that <clears throat> it is about setting a national standard because the other challenge, of course, the federal government looks at is if the benefit is seen as being um, inequitable, different in different parts of the country, it will take about five minutes for a court case. 
uh, to arrive um, as uh, as people with disabilities in one of those jurisdictions where they're getting less money comes to court and says, hey, wait a minute, we're all Canadians. And how come we don't get what they get in B.C.? And and so all of that, I think, is part of the complication of getting this thing right. And 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 we know that there's no money flowing at a minimum before budget time in 24. Yeah. At a minimum. Yeah. And so there is some time to get this right. And and this becomes, you know, there's a bunch of issues, uh, I think, in front of uh, British Columbians. I'm kind of a Homer guy, but British Columbians, but all Canadians uh, around an array of issues around accessibility and income and poverty and all of those things that uh, are coming to a head over the next few months. And and this will be a big one uh, for people to pay attention to. Oh, most definitely. And, and so like, what is a uh, gentleman, like, what is your view about the disability? There's been a lot of call um, in the disability communities and advocacy groups across Canada. Um, they've been, uh, of course, for like over a year now, a couple of years, uh, called the disability emergency response. Uh, benefit. Yeah. Mm. What is, uh, what is your view on that one? While they, uh, you know, while this, uh, the Canada disability benefit goes through its, mm. uh, regulatory process i mean it's going to take a good while i mean probably yeah. over a year at least to get it all put together in the meantime I, yeah i was just going to say i i you know I, I i'm supportive of the idea of putting more money into the pockets of people who don't have enough money <laughs> uh, but do i think it will happen no i don't um i, I just uh, uh i think that it would create precedents and and, you know, the government, uh, rightly or wrongly, did a whole lot of things with CERB and other things during COVID, which were put together very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a little bit of a screw the details. Let's just get <laughs> money out the door. Yeah. And that was the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Consequences yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you'll be hard pressed to find the government do that. And right now, the federal government um, is uh, and Minister Freeland, the finance minister, mm-hmm is a little edgy about spending. She knows yeah. she's got big spending in front of her. <clears throat> and uh, and I think that will be part of uh, Minister Qualtro's biggest challenge yeah. is going to be convincing Krista Freeland to fund this thing in, in a significant way. Yeah. Well, I, I remember... I, to, I told, if I just add, when I, when I appeared before the Senate a few weeks ago, Brent, I said to them, I know you're hearing people saying, don't amend the bill, just pass it so we can get money to people as soon as possible. I said... With respect, as soon as possible means in about 15 to 18 months. So whether you amend it or not, there isn't going to be a regular flow of a monthly payment for a while. If you're concerned, you may want to make a statement about that the Minister of Finance in her fall economic statement, you know, announce a one-time, you know, special benefit, you know, in a, which is as Shane shaking, yeah, it's unlikely. Or you you lobby that in the 2024 budget that there's some kind of commitment there, but you know, if that doesn't happen, this benefit's not happening for a while, folks. So, you know, it's unfortunate this idea of don't amend the bill, don't improve it, got caught up with we need the money ASAP because the reality mm. is it's going to take another 12 to 15 months to develop the regulations, negotiate with the provinces, as, as Shane said. And then an interesting question, too, Shane, that came up in the Senate hearings was, well, does the benefit flow once one or two provinces sign or do you have to wait till all 10 sign and what happens if a few of them drag their feet are, are we going to hold 
uh, some people in the country with disabilities almost hostage to a de facto veto by their provincial government. And so that became, again, caught up in this whole clawback rhetoric about, ooh, you know, tremendous suspicion about the Fed-Prov relationship in certain jurisdictions. And it's almost like people said, can't the government of Canada just mail checks to people or flow it through Canada Revenue Agency? Well, they could in a way, but this needs this is a supplement, which means it, it's going to have to articulate with pre-existing provincial and federal programs. And as you know, provincial social assistance, or PWD, is the single most significant source of income for most Canadians who are in low income low income with disabilities. That's their first program of resort. It's not a safety net for them. It's their lifeline. And so how do you create a new federal benefit that will work with that hodgepodge of provincial social assistance? So, you know, again, for Canadians, that's a whole other world that they're not familiar with or you know, quite rightly. It's not, you know, it's part of that FedProv world, which is kind of very distinctive. But um, again, the timing, it, it will take time to work through these so that we don't create unintended consequences or you know, do harm that we don't want to do, like suddenly go, oh, well, this is going to cause complications for your housing benefit or a transit benefit or a dental or extended this or that. And um, <clears throat> it's, not, it's not as clear cut as sending out OAS checks to seniors, <laughs> you know, right. uh, you know, well, it's, a, it's a way, it's a different kettle of fish altogether. Yeah. And that's one, uh, <clears throat> like, I remember the last time you were on the show, uh, Shane, uh, back when uh, Brent was on Twitter Spaces, uh, um, so I don't know if that was maybe six months ago or whatever it was. Um, it's so but, long ago. <laughs> but the but the last time you were on, you made a comment that you know the the provinces uh, like having the control of the uh, social uh, development, you know, the social policy part of uh, the business, and uh, you said that the provinces aren't going to surrender that to the to the to the feds and uh so i i wondered if you wanted to speak how everybody, everybody's going to coalesce and and speak you know you know uh get together and 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 uh you know pull on the same same rope together when they have to do this but the provinces aren't going to want to go away you know and say you know we want to give up the control of our uh our provincial programs. Yeah, sure. sure, Neil, and and I think that um, uh, I I I think that we have enough examples. Like we saw it with childcare. Mm -hmm. We've seen it with other initiatives where the federal government has put a national program in place, roughly, mm -hmm. but it was based on individual agreements with pro uh, yeah. with provinces, and that that triggered the support. So I'm hopeful that. Um, that this won't be a benefit where uh, it's where everybody has to sign on before yeah. it's initiated. And if that is quite frankly, that's a bit of a game, yeah. um, I think, you know, and so I think what you do is you take the provinces, the feds have to put pretty clear criteria in, and that will come from the negotiation with the provinces and they'll determine what those bottom lines are. And, and I attended a few of those federal provincial ministerial meetings where you talked about what's the bottom line and then provinces would do more or, or whatever above that. Mm -hmm. So I think that if that's in place, then you are able to sign deals with provinces. And the federal government, if they, uh, I think that their, their practice has been 
You know, if they can get BC and Ontario to sign, um, then that mom creates momentum. Alberta yeah. creates momentum. So there are some provinces that trigger uh, yeah. more people to come to the table. And, mm -hmm. and it starts obviously with Ontario because of their size. Yeah. Uh, but British Columbia is there too, because we are a pretty strong ally with the federal government on social policy issues. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 I, and uh, well, I think they're probably waiting in Edmonton. They'll wait. We'll see what the result of the election is, and that will affect the relationship between Alberta and Ontario yep. uh, and and Ottawa. Um, you know that, and and of course, you know what's the cost of oil, price of oil. <laughs> but uh, so I think that you you will see that. But I'm hoping that um, the provinces will be able to to do deals within a set of clear criteria yep. uh, that meet their needs, especially. That will be true if you look at a situation where the feds say our objective is to lift everybody to a certain level. Let's say yep. it's $25,000, $30,000, whatever that number is. And that means that we need to elevate or supplement incomes. Well, then they're going to be looking at every province and saying, what do you provide? And, yep. and how do we supplement that and how do we do it in ways that are roughly even or fair across the country and and, and that won't be easy necessarily to do uh, but that's part of the conversation and that's part of the difficult conversation but you know uh, Michael talked about this I'll tell you now is the time though for the disability community yeah. for advocates for self-advocates this is the time to uh, to be knocking on Carla's door uh, <laughs> around what that looks like but it's yeah. also the time to be talking to your provincial governments because mm -hmm. those discussions will be very much. And you want your province to step up and say, we're all in on the Canada disability benefit and we support it and we're prepared to be a partner in it. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, this is where we think the issues and the partnership is. So I think that uh, disability uh, advocates and self-advocates should be talking to their respective provincial governments about what their views and their relationship is with that debt benefit and how they're thinking about responding to it because they're all talking yeah and those conversations yeah. are going on now and uh, they're not talking to the disability community unless you pound on the door so yeah, pound right. on the door <laughs> exactly good advice shane i mean yeah. you know i don't know how many times i've been in ottawa at meetings where people always just think we just have to walk down the street and talk to this minister or that and i said folks <laughs> Most of the services you want are provincially delivered, uh, provincially funded or regulated. Uh, you got to do the more difficult task of knocking on doors in 13 capital cities uh, or connect with your provincial minister. Your, your, you know, and that's and also that's where the that's where the, the credibility is. It's the grassroots flying mm -hmm. to Ottawa with a delegation of of, uh, you know, head leaders of organizations. That's important. But you can't be, you know, and Shane knows this. People say I'm a constituent. I'm from your community, or I'm, you know, I'm I'm from I'm from here, here, here. You know, communities throughout the province, and we're just parents. We're this, we're that. You know, there's this authenticity and 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 uh, just legitimacy of those voices. That's that's where the nothing about us without us really shines through. And uh, yeah, and yeah, because I think I've said it, Shane. I I'm, appreciate you. You've said it too. Carla's got a challenge with some of her other colleagues around the cabinet table to get mm -hmm. sufficient dollars. Uh, we've got an economy that's tightening. There's the Bank of Canada with interest rates, still a little uncertainty. Is there going to be a rest, recession or not? Well, that's still 
being floated about. It doesn't look like it yet, but who knows? But there's a sense, um, you know, and as we get closer to the next federal election, uh, the Liberals will want to see, be wanted to be seen uh, uh, a little more fiscally responsible because they want to kind of, you know, hold some of those seats in Ontario where people will be probably more alive to these issues of the deficit and spending. So, um, you know, it, I think, you know, for this to be really a robust program, it's got to be at least about an eight to $10 billion a year program to start a federal. That That's a significant <laughs> new line item in a budget. Oh, yeah. But when you look at COVID where, again, that was emergency money, but when they spent up to $200 billion over two years on emergency benefits, uh, eight or nine for one of the most impoverished groups in the country uh, really shouldn't blow people's minds. <laughs> Uh, it and it will it'll as you all know this it will empower people to engage in community whether through volunteer work paid work uh, you know uh, engaged community citizens I mean uh, we talk about what it might cost on one side of the budget but just think of the benefits and the mm -hmm. ripple effects of inclusion and contribution as as Shane said people who have got aspirations want to contribute want to have that chance. Um, it, and this is a game changer. It, it, and I, I, what I'm concerned about is that uh, within the Liberal caucus in Ottawa, there'll be a temptation to say, well, let's start with a down payment. Let's start with something that we can at least go and campaign on in the next mm -hmm. election, and whether that's 2024 or 2025. So maybe what's that, two or $300 a month, Carla? Well, <laughs> that is so far short of this objective of lifting hundreds of thousands of people who are in I mean, none of the social assistance rates across the country yet meet the poverty line. Some are getting oh, yeah. close, like BC and, uh, you know, a few others. Uh, and, you know, I need to acknowledge the, the leadership that Shane showed on that. Um, uh, but this is a supplement to those. And, it, and it, if it gets it up to a national standard, which I agree with Shane, that should be the objective. Uh, that, that, uh, but there's lots of work to do. And, and I think Shane made it, said it really well. Uh, advocates and their allies need to focus on provincial social service ministers and others in cabinets to kind of say, where are you at on this file? Otherwise it'll be a quiet summer. <laughs> and, you know, house doesn't resume again, uh, federally house to come till late September. Uh, it recesses shortly and, uh, those yeah. will be downtime. You know, we can't well, lose, we can't lose that time. And, and the other thing is it's just, and, uh, I always, uh, it, Having left after left leaving government, uh, I realized just how, how how narrow a lot of government relations thinking is. Mm. And really, at this point, you you have to talk to ministers at some point. Yeah. But I'd be much more. My ur urging would be be talking to deputies and assistant deputy uh, ministers mm. responsible for the file, mm. because they're doing all the heavy lifting and the work, and that's where the negotiation and discussion is going on yeah. is among the senior uh, leadership, the bureaucracy. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they will come to their ministers and they will say, we think we can do this and we can do that. And, and they will have interpreted based on their own belief mm -hmm. about what's achievable. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it's hard, not impossible, but it's hard for ministers to stray a long way from that. Yeah. The other thing is the way it works is that when the deputy, if they kind of evolve a plan, they then take it to the committee of deputies, which is like <laughs> the equivalent of the cabinet, but
but it's the deputy minister. Mm -hmm. And if they come to a consensus position among all the deputies, then it's extremely, not impossible, but extremely rare uh, that the ministers and cabinet will reject that in favor of something dramatically different. So I think it's very important uh, for the disability advocates to be talking to the senior policy bureaucrats about what should and shouldn't happen, as well as the politicians, because the politicians will get their advice from those bureaucrats. And, and what they hear will influence what they decide. Oh, most definitely. I know that there was a lot of uh, different amendments that were done on the on the bill. Uh, there was one that was mentioned um, about it automatically becoming uh, one application and it would mm-hmm. automatically be, be uh, people on provincial will automatically get it so that it doesn't, it's not a, um, yeah. it's more streamlined. Well, the other issue there, and this is a big issue, is there is not one set of criteria yeah. in the country for who has a disability and who would qualify. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, people who qualify PWD in British Columbia is a different group than qualify for H in Alberta. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In terms of, you know, I remember I used to get, uh, I got criticism because the, the disability benefit in British Columbia was significantly less than Alberta. But... I went and had my staff look, and 40% of the people who qualified for PWD would not qualify yeah. in Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. We used to say, Shane, they had a higher benefit, but they had higher fences around the benefit, you know? <laughs> and, and that's going to be a really big question is who qualifies? Yeah. Um, and how do they do that? And, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. really important that this be not the current federal standards because yeah. Yeah. They are not, they're not good enough. They're just not good enough. Yeah. And, yeah. and the way back, I, to, back yeah, to your I, question about an emergency benefit, you know, when there was that one time $600 oh, monthly right. payment top up, you know, the, the government of Canada reached to its uh, most uh, significant mechanism, which was the disability tax credit, which we know has uh, some pluses, but it has a lot of flaws. And then they mm-hmm. tried to jerry rig into that uh, this Canada Pension Plan disability beneficiaries. And also the veterans disability recipients. And, you know, they had three different systems that were even within their own government were not compatible. But they their default position was to go with the disability tax credit eligibility screen, which has, you know, has been controversial for many years, many limitations to it. Uh, and that showed, I think, to Carla, who was the minister at the time, and is, again, you know, we got to come up with something new. Now, they really haven't talked much publicly about, well, what's that new thing going to be? And that's going to be in the regulations. And that's going to be in the FedProv conversations. So the most critical part yet, I mean, really is to come for a lot of people is, well, will I qualify? How much will I get? All that is like to be determined. (laughs) Despite, I mean, we need a law. We need a legislation to make this official and to make it serious. So the province to say, okay, this is going to happen. Now we've passed a... We've passed legislation. Parliament has spoken, and I would hope this will get all parties support, which is important. Um, but then, as Shane said, you get down to the nitty gritty, and it's well, what? How do senior officials in all these government? How do they interpret what they've heard and what they think it means for their jurisdiction? And that's where disability groups need to go and help engage in those conversations. This is what we think not only is desirable, but is also achievable. Not to not to put yourself in the shoes of the bureaucrats, but just to appreciate 
how they're going to be approaching it in terms of feasibility, administrative feasibility, financial implications, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, but you know, advocates need to really get engaged. Great advice, Shane. Absolutely terrific. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Shane, I'm just going to bring the microphone over to you. Uh, so, uh, Sonia actually has a question for you, um, and I'm just going to put the mic over to Sonia. Go ahead, Sonia. Hi, Shane. Hello. How are you? She's invisible. I'm good. No, she, no, she, she is. There's I'm that good. voice in the wilderness. There. <laughs> yeah, like over there. Um, like, but I don't know if you can answer or not, but you know, you know, for the budget, this previous budget, the BC NDP just had for for um, February twenty eighth. Yeah, February twenty yep. eighth. They gave one hundred and twenty five dollars towards the shelter, but they didn't put anything for the support. Is there a reason why they? I asked David Eby about that, and well, he just told me that there was credits. Like GST credit and all that stuff. Uh, you know, and 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 I I, I maybe I've said this before on your show, but I uh, one of the things I didn't get done when I was minister and wanted to, and there's a bunch of reasons why it didn't happen, including it being costly for the government, but was to get rid of the shelter and support and just end it and just give people a check for that amount of money because it's bogus. We yeah. know that nobody was living on paying $375 a month rent, you know, or very, very few people who weren't in um, social housing with fixed social housing costs. So it really was about the amount of money um, that generally people got. So when I look at this, and the reason that this was attached to shelter um, is uh, um, it, because there's been a lot of pressure around rent costs, obviously. So that was one of the reasons it was put there. I never, I refused to put anything into shelter when I did increases. I put it all into support. And I did that for a couple of reasons. First of all, there are a group of people who have no fixed address who do not get the shelter portion. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't going to have increases not go to them too. So if you put it in the support portion, everybody got it. Um, if we eliminated the shelter and support, everybody would get the check. All of a sudden, there's about 20,000 people in the province whose incomes would go up considerably because mm -hmm. they'd be getting now another 500 bucks a month. Um, and uh, and so uh, I think that the, the question is, how much are you getting at the end of the day? What's mm -hmm. the check, whether you call it shelter or support? And mm -hmm. how does that how does that affect your ability to live? Um, and, and so I, that's, I, you know, and, and I'm sorry that I never made, got that change done, but it just didn't happen in the time that I had. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, um, I think the debate should be, was $125 a reasonable rate increase or should it have been more, you know, and everybody will interpret that somewhat differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, I think it's, it's all about the money. It's not about the label. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Exactly. It's like call it like the uh, essentials, get rid of the shelter and support and just call it essentials and or, yeah. you know, what, and, and, what, and what, give what, people a check, the biggest yeah. check you're going to give them and let them live their lives. Yeah. Let them make that decision that's best <laughs> yeah. based on <clears throat> what their needs are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, you know, market rent is so high. So, I mean, if 
if a landlord says, Hey, uh, give me, give me five, 400 bucks or whatever, or $500, we'll call it a day. You, you get to keep the rest mm -hmm. because what, well, what I'm thinking too, as uh, Shane too, is um, like um, say market rent, just I'll use that as an example. So some landlords will say, well, so they're only giving you 375 for shelter. So you're going to use all your support to basically pay, pay mm -hmm. the, the rent. What are you going to have to live? Then they, of course they discriminate because I'll say, well, they need to change that. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, so it's, you know, yeah. just, just a quick point on that back when in 2017, when we first came into power and, and I think it was the second decision we made was the hundred dollar rate increase. It was the second decision the new government made was to put that in place immediately. And I remember um, saying to my staff after about six months, I said, because especially with the single room occupancies in the downtown east side, we know all of those rents. We have all, there was all kinds of data about what people were paying and that. So I said, well, go back and see what's happened. And almost across the board, without exception, people faced what was usually about a hundred dollar rent increase because SROs weren't covered by the Residential Tenancy Act. They weren't protected by that. And so, you know, I remember thinking about and thinking, and it just, it pissed me off and it pissed me off because it was never my plan. I wasn't surprised, but it was never my plan to give somebody on, in the downtown East side, a hundred bucks so that they could hand it off to a landlord for a crappy place. That's got bugs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. And that's, mm. it's unfortunate that the SROs aren't, they're not part of the, the residential tenancy act. Mm. Um, it's um yeah I mean those, I mean yeah, I, I'm really hopeful change is coming I know there's a lot of work being done and and Ravi Kalon is a, a smart guy the Minister of Housing he's a smart guy and, and I do hope that they're going to affect some change you know I, I've argued from from day one that ultimately what has to happen is the government should just be buy all those SROs up and it, it wouldn't be that hard to do. Um, keep the ones that are in good shape and convert them and then start the transition to replacing them with uh, yeah. social housing. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, one, and of the, one of the things my I motto is it's always like you give people, give people the opportunity and give them the resources. They're going to thrive much better in the communities that they live in and, and being able to kind of go, uh, you know, as, <clears throat> and of course this is a different, you know, probably more of a federal model with that can disability benefit too, but, provincial too it's like you can leave the province for 30 days mm -hmm. but you need to have a date and a pass saying can i leave where if somebody say has opportunity living i don't know manitoba or ontario and they want to live there for x amount of years then they want to come back um you, you know that's that jurisdictional one uh i know some people who moved from manitoba winnipeg to bc about a year and a half ago they are priced out. They said they can't afford to live here. They now have a child involved in the situation in BC. They're on disability. They've uh, they're uh, they're autistic. So now they're now wanting to move back in September. They mm -hmm. told it just recently because they said it's cheaper there. I go, mm -hmm. housing may be cheaper, but your income's going to be lower, mm -hmm. right? It's still going to be matched that, so it's not going to be anything you know they're not really going to gain anything but they said they can't afford the, the high market rent they looked into bc housing they said there was at least uh they never told like 10 10 plus years that they could get into it one of their friends got in just recently took them seven years 
I said, well, there, there's a long waiting list. Um, and there's no magic. I told them there's no magic solution because of the housing crisis. And I said, there's nothing personal, you guys, but you got to do what you have to do. Um, so your file is there. I mean, they just have to react to me and, you know, and, 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 uh, and that really is a, an important piece. I think is you want to, uh, you don't need to manage people's lives the way government yeah. manages the lives of persons with disabilities. Yeah. People, you know, the vast majority of people who live with a disability, like the vast majority of the public, are fully capable of making decisions about what their best interests are. Yeah. And mm -hmm. let them do that and deal with, you know, being financially accountable and all of those things. But, yeah. you know, it's there's no reason why you have to kind of have this paternalistic approach to managing every part of somebody's life because they happen to have a disability. Let people make the decisions they want to make for what's in their best interest, mm -hmm. considering their circumstances. And yeah. and we tried to make that better. And, and, and I think there's lots more work to be done. And part of the challenge, as you say, really is when somebody says, you know, I've got family in, Man in Winnipeg and my family's getting older and I want to move to Winnipeg and it'll be more affordable and I've got a better network and that. And then to have to jump through some ridiculous amount of hoops to be able to get there and be confident that they'll have the best benefit that they're eligible for right away. Right. Yeah. Or reapplying. I and mean, then you got to now prove that you're disabled and, in the province. And, like, yeah. oh. and, and not have to go through that yeah. dance, that song and yeah. dance. Absolutely. We've only yeah. got about another another five minutes or so left. Or, or, did, or, or gentlemen, did you want to be on a little bit longer? And we can dive into some hockey and... Uh, <laughs> Maybe another 54 minutes or so. Or I, you can, I don't know what Michael's time is like. Uh, I, I can give you five minutes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, what what I, I wanted to touch on quickly, and I mean, I, I, I think you remember, Shane, I, I, I have to, I, you know that I sent you my fair share of angry, passionate emails that over the time that you were, yeah. that you were a minister. <laughs> oh, yeah. Over the clawbacks, right? But but before we get into it, I have, I, you know, I've said, I've said this before, and I, I do mean it that I, I think you were the one of the most, if not the most accessible uh, minister that we've ever had in that position. And I, and I do acknowledge it. it's really hard to be accessible, right, especially in that position. And you always were, I mean, I remember when I got to see you on the consultation back in 2019, it was October 2019, when you had that um, consultation in surrey i went to see you and you were just uh standing outside the door there and like, so i just went up and, and uh, caught you at the door and i mean how many how many ministers can you do that with you know and so i always admired that you were very accessible and and stuff like that so i just want to get that off the uh, off the bat but i i do want to say like and, and i would say that you're pretty good at holding me accountable to you uh, you never uh, you never shied from that let me tell but you. but I, I you know i i don't know if you know about this about me but i i i'm a um you know i'm a university i got i got my, my ba in uh, english literature so i'm a big english lit fan and uh you know i'm gonna i'm gonna say some poetry here uh gertrude gertrude stein in uh 1913 poem said uh a rose is a rose is a rose is a rose, right? And um, <laughs> my thing always was income is income is income is income. And that's why I always bugged you about the clawbacks, right? Because, I mean, we, we you talked about the whole, th whole thing about uh, separating out shelter and uh, support is a bad thing. 
And I think that when you cherry pick uh, income too, like when you say this income is valid and this income is invalid, you're cherry picking and that's discriminatory. And so that's why I've always been very passionate about the about the clawback because it's like, you know, a superfluous pension is meant to be a wraparound support, a targeted wraparound support, and the provinces are invalidating it. And it's like, why? <laughs> you know, mm. because it's like, how can you invalidate a perfectly good uh, wraparound targeted support? Maybe just a, a quick point. I know we're running quick on time, but mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I I felt good about that we did is when I I am um, I contracted um, an expert panel on basic income, mm -hmm. uh, three uh, three well respected mm -hmm. academics, uh, uh, David uh, David Green, uh, Lindsay Ted's, and and Reese Kesselman, uh, two years to look at basic income. But what I really wanted them to look at was the whole structure of how we provide income supports. That was my true motivation. And that that's what they did. And they yep. produced a report with 65 recommendations and many of them really important. And, and, and it's my belief, the government has not ignored that. And I believe the government continues to look at what those recommendations would mean in terms of, mm -hmm. of how, um, how we deliver support. Uh, and it would probably include those kind of discussions, Neil, about, you know, what is income and what isn't income and, and how do you deal with all that? So I do think as well that uh, uh, it, it's important uh, for the disability community and the poverty reduction community generally to talk about how those pieces get delivered and what is there about the legislation that governs those things that could be done differently. Because I think that there is still, there's some motivation and sentiment to affect change there, mm -hmm. uh, but it won't happen easily. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and I, I would encourage people to look at trying to make those changes because, well, everybody wants more money and I get that and I understand it, but how people are treated and the rules they got to play by and how things are defined all of those make such a huge difference in the lives of people who are dependent on government for most of their income uh, yeah. that you really want to go and make sure those things are fair, balanced, and respectful as they can be. And that has not always been their history. Yeah. I know in the, uh, I know uh, quickly before uh, I hand the, uh, the, the session over, um, <laughs> I know in one of the recommendations and there were in the 65 recommendations was it's about the, you know, that, that COVID supplement, the $300, I said something about making it permanent in there. Mm. Um, now, I know that changed the lives of so many people during COVID. And, and it, of course, they made 175 of it permanent going forward. And, of course, that it was 125 that wasn't put in. But then on the February 28th budget, the 125 now became put in there. But I don't know if that was just part of that or, but that's something that obviously. Hey, yeah, I, you know, and, uh, and that $300 supplement, I heard all kinds of positive things about that. Oh. We did that and we were able to keep it in place for about a year. But yeah. people don't have enough money. That's just yeah. the reality of what it costs yeah. to live in this province. You don't have enough money, but um, I will challenge anybody to tell me that this government, whether it was through my time or Minister Simons or Minister Malcolmson, this government has consistently put money on the table yeah. Um, yeah. in a variety of ways. And was it enough? Probably not. 
Um, but it, there was no lack of effort. And the reality is you got a awful lot of people inside government with their hands out looking for money and the source <laughs> oh, yeah. is not endless. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and so keep working on that and keep yeah. working on making sure that there are regular increases and I, and there need to be more moving forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's always going to be a work in progress. Yeah. Oh, exactly. They've done a lot. You know, the government has done a lot to uh, to help people in so many ways. Uh, and you know, and the, as you know, as a PWD advocate, uh, you know, very grateful for everything that you've done too, Shane. When you were minister uh, in um, you know in charge of the poverty reduction, I remember many times going to the town hall meetings and boom, well, there he is again. And you were in Vancouver the last time that we saw you, and there was a buffet and. You were standing there and I was like, wow. And you're like, you know, it's like I almost saw like the twinkle in your eyes, like, wow, like Sonia and Brent are here to see you. Like, why are you here? Because we came to see you. Like we <laughs> all the way down there, like Shane's there, boom. And I mean, same as when our former premier um was was um Mr. Horgan, like as soon as we heard, he was there, boom, we were right there. My friends are here, my friends are here. Like he was. So excited, all his security around there. Hey, well, they're like, oh, get antsy, antsy. Hey, hey, he goes, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It pushes them aside. And you know what I mean? It's because people have an impact on people's lives. They want to see change and being an advocate going forward of just saying like, this is how it is, lived experience. And um, and there's, there's so much, there is so much to more to do, right? There yeah. is. And um, gentlemen, I, uh, I want to have you back on. We'll we'll do this again. We'll, we'll, we'll talk hockey. Another. We will we'll because talk the, hockey Canucks are, the Canucks are going to the playoffs next year, guaranteed. There you go. There's the headline. There's the headline. There's the headline. Be able to reach out to you guys, and uh, we'll we'll get you scheduled uh, together as a duel, um, and whatever time it works good yeah. uh, for for both of you. If I could just oh, say thanks, one last Brent. quick thing oh, yeah, uh, sure. is, you know, something that Shane brought in was the Poverty Reduction Act for BC. There was a, you're talking, Neil and Brent, about the consultations and that the minister was there. And that was an important signal to all the communities that he visited was that this was, this was a serious, real process. Minister Malcolmson now is doing the review process. So she has done a similar kind of series of, you know, town hall meetings. I, I follow her on social media. She's been all through the province. She takes yeah. that very seriously. So there's another opportunity for, for Brent, for you and others to engage in that process. <clears throat> there could be some uh, tweaks or changes to legislation or programming that will flow from that. So, you know, this is a good time to, you know, uh, follow follow that one as well. You know, uh, follow the puck, as they say in hockey. And, uh, <laughs> well, and, yeah. and because to understand by law, uh, Minister Malcolmson will be required to release the new targets and timelines by the end of this calendar year, uh -huh. by December. She's oh, wow. required for the next five years uh, of the next plan. So this is, you know, what is the yeah. target for poverty reduction and what are the timelines for that? So uh, this is the time to, to have that conversation. It's also the time to talk about that array of kind of what the rules look like. Yeah. what those recommendations look like the poverty reduction strategy version two is absolutely that time and those those conversations are going on right now mm -hmm. um and will happen over the next couple of months because she doesn't have a lot of time to get this done so anybody uh, any advocates who want to have a say about that now's the time to find your opportunity to get a message in
Great. Yeah, I definitely attended one of the town hall meetings that uh, uh, Ms. Malcolmson had recently. It was very informative. I uh, gained a lot uh, of knowledge out of it and some feedback and um, a basic lived experience. Uh, been on the local news recently about it too. And so, yeah, just um, definitely a message from myself to other advocates across mm -hmm. Canada uh, and self-advocates. Talk to your local, talk to your local MLAs, talk to your, um, you know, your constituents within your province. Um, yeah. Exactly, because okay. that's I think I got to run. I, somebody's pounding okay. on my door. Okay. Right. Well, Thanks, thank guys. You. Take care, Great guys. You, Shane, as thank always. You. Yeah. Take well, care, guys. Uh, we'll do round two soon. Okay. Okay. Bye, Bye now. Thank you.